applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. Okay, welcome. This is Pastor Joel with Right Response Ministries. We've got another episode of Theology Applied today. Uh, as a special guest, I have Toby Sumter. Uh, he is one of the pastors at Christ Church uh, in Moscow, Idaho. He's also um, one of the hosts for a podcast called Cross Politic. And today, the topic that we're going to be addressing is Christian polemics. Christian polemics, not politics, but polemics. And we're going to be uh, doing our best, by God's grace, to debunk um, the absurdity, the fallacy of the 11th commandment, um, Christian niceness. And so uh, I want to go ahead and just dive right in. So the first thing that we'll do is just give you a moment, Toby, to um, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Who is Toby Sumter? Well, uh, that's a long and sorted tale, but um, <laughs> the short the short version is um, I am a pastor um, uh, here, as you mentioned. I've I've uh, been in the ministry for about, um, I think, coming up on 15 years. Um, I um, uh, am married, have four uh, children, and uh, we're heavily involved with a uh, classical Christian school here uh, in Moscow called Logos School. And um, and like like you said, I, I'm also heavily involved with the Cross Politic um, podcast and, and television show. Yeah, and that's a daily event now. It used to be once a week, and now... I, I keep looking at that and I think about your family life and just your pastoral work. And then I, you know, the daily brief from, you know, you and Gabe and Chalk Knox seem to split that rotation. But still, I'm like, Toby's doing at least three or four things a week with cross politics. So that's, you're going to have to, you're going to have to press on uh, Gabe and Knox to get some compensation or something. something. Well, they're, they're, it's the least I can do. Those two guys have been pulling uh, really hard on this for a long time. And, yeah. and they're, because they're, uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, thank I'm grateful to be supported by the church, and they're trying yeah. to make a living out of this thing. Totally, yeah. I've had those conversations with Gabe, but you guys are doing great work. Uh, I'm grateful for it. I've benefited a ton from what you guys do. Uh, so let's go ahead and just dive right in. The first question I've got some questions written down. The first one that I have is, um, could you define? And I know it's hard because people have different definitions, but what is what is niceness in the way that you would define it, and and maybe more importantly in the way that you think the average Christian, the average evangelical today would define niceness. And based off of that definition, your definition, but also the average Christian's definition of niceness, how, how is that contrary to the Bible? Why is, why is niceness not a Christian virtue? Yeah, well, I think um, maybe the, the closest thing to a Christian virtue that is the closest relative, or, or maybe the, the real version of what I think Christians sort of assume when they say niceness would, would be um, what, what the Bible calls kindness. Right. Um, so um, kindness is a fruit of the spirit. Um, uh, God is kind um, to us. He's been supremely kind to us in Jesus. Um, I think that um, and that word is, is rooted in the, the Old Testament. Uh, the Hebrew word has said. Um, which is frequently translated loving kindness mm. or merciful kindness. Um, and, and so, you know, and, and, you know, that would be really closely connected to our word for grace um, and, and that which is gracious. Um, so do I believe that Christians are to be gracious like God is gracious? Absolutely. Are Christians to be kind um, and tenderhearted? Well, absolutely. 
Um, if, if you are not a, a kind man, a gracious man, a merciful woman, um, a forgiving woman, then, then the Bible is clear. Then you perhaps have not met our God. You have not yeah. met the Lord Jesus because, uh, when you've been showed that kind of love, that kind of kindness, that kind of tender mercy, you can't help but then show that kind of tender mercy, that kind of right. love, that kind of forgiveness. But, um, but that, uh, I think the world defines niceness though. I think they sort of co-opt, um, this category, but they're, um, they're filling that category with alien ideas. And, um, and one of the, the principal ones would be that, um, in order to be nice, in order to be kind, um, you must never offend anyone. Right. Um, you must not ever say anything that hurts someone's feelings. Um, it, it makes them feel bad. Um, right. but that is not the kindness of God. That's not mm. the love of God. Um, the love of God, um, confronts us in our sin and, um, and in a, in a, in a wonderful way, even humiliates us in our sin. Yeah. Um, there's, there's no, um, the reason why we are, are driven to the cross and driven to Christ is because, um, God in his kindness shows us how awful we are, mm-hmm. how, how filthy our sin is and how shameful it is. Right. And it's, it's really only when you have been um, caught by that, confronted by that reality, that you are in a position to cry out for mercy. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and then God is there. I mean, the, whole, the reason why he drives us to the cross is so that he can show us mercy. Right. Um, but so it's, it's, it's um, um, anyway, so, so Christian love, though, um, Sometimes, you know, the, the New Testament writers describe, um, you know, confronting, um, uh, speaking the truth in love. Um, and I think frequently what Christians think that means is, is go light on the truth, go heavy on the love. Right. Um, and, and I, but I don't think that's what it means at all. I think it means speak right. the truth. And in speaking the truth, you are, in fact, loving your neighbor. That's right. um, and I think, you know, there's obviously ways that you can be a jerk about it. And, um, but that's not kind and not gracious, but just because someone thinks you're being a jerk doesn't mean you're, you're not being loving. Um, right. and so, and, and then ultimately I would just point to the example of Jesus himself. Um, if, uh, if Jesus had been nice, according to the standards of the world, he would have yeah. never been killed. That's right. Um, and we'd be was, dead in our sin. Yeah. So, but he was, he was killed because he wasn't nice according right. to the world's standards, but he was absolutely gracious. He was absolutely kind and merciful. Um, but again, you look at all the apostles. I mean, at least 11 of the 12 got killed according to church tradition. Right. Um, and, and they didn't get killed because, of they were being too nice. Right. Um, they, they were, they were killed because they were willing to speak the truth at places where people would be deeply offended, right. um, hate them and plot to put them to death. Yep. And it all seems like, uh, it's, in many ways, it's centered around speaking. So I, I'm reminded of Jesus when he says, you know, I've done many great works of God. For which of these good works, speaking of his miracles, his, his working, his hands, his feet, for which of these are you going to put me to death? And, and they say, we're not going to put you to death for any of the things that you've done. It's the things that you've said. It's because you, by your speaking, by your words, are making yourself an equal to God. And, and so, I, you know, I, I'm always... Uh, thinking of, you know, Christians today, I think in their niceness, uh, part of the way that, that Christians want to be nice is they want to, they want to center 
they're evangelistic, and it's an irony. It's just not even the biblical category, but they want to center their evangelistic efforts around deeds. And, and there is a sense in which we, we do our good deeds so that people, men might see them and glorify our Father in heaven. Um, but, but people are only going to glorify our Father in heaven when we do good deeds, uh, if, if we're giving in our words our Father in heaven credit. Otherwise, people, they're not going to glorify our Father in heaven. They're going to glorify the power of humanity. It's just a humanitarian effort where all it's going to do is, it's actually, it actually is counterproductive because really the, the results, to me, it seems like it just, anybody who might have been kind of doubting you know, humanity might have been thinking, maybe humanity really is bad and needs a savior. And, and oh, but you know what? I've been so encouraged today because my neighbor uh, just did the kindest thing, just did the, just did the best thing. And uh, so there really are good people out there. And that's because your neighbor did a really good thing who's actually a Christian. And that was the basis for them doing that good thing. But 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 you would never know, right? I've, I've heard the, the old adage that, you know, if I ever did meet a Christian, uh, he never blew his cover. So, so, somebody said that it might have, it might have been Doug Wilson. I can't remember, but you know, but that that idea of just this undercover minds for Jesus, undercover Christian, and it, it really just does no good. Uh, when, when you were saying truth and love, it, it just got me thinking about, um, you know, it's we divorce these things, but it's a truthful love and a loving truth, and and I think um, you're talking about confrontation. Niceness just never confronts, um, but but I think that's the truth piece. W- would you agree that truth? It seems to me truth necessarily, by, by, by virtue of the truth, it, it necessarily confronts anything that is not of the truth. And so to withhold, to me, for a Christian to intentionally withhold, uh, th- there's no way, I should say it like this, there's no way to withhold confrontation without suppressing truth. And, and so for me, I would, I would say it seems like one of the differences between niceness and kindness is uh, if we got really specific. Uh, niceness is, um, it's kindness with deceit. It's kindness absent of truth. W- would you agree with that? Do you think that's a fair assessment? Absolutely. Yeah. I, th- I think there's a, there's an old, uh, there's, an, there's a couple of old, uh, King James words that I think we need to recover that are connected to this, but one of them is the word dissembling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think that, um, I think many Christians are full of dissembling. And the idea is that it's, uh, the other, and the other word I'm thinking of is is flattery, um, mm-hmm. yep. but um, but I think right. Christians are are full of flattery in that, and it's not so much that you're constantly you know singing the high praises of everyone all the time, uh, but a more subtle form of flattery is that we are constantly pretending that everything's fine, right? Because right. we're afraid of coming in contact with the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, but but um, I think to your point on confrontation, absolutely. I think l- if we are light then light confronts darkness. Mm-hmm. It, it right. exposes darkness. Right. And, um, and, you know, I mean, Jesus gave us the, the example of, you know, hiding your, your light under a bushel, for example, mm-hmm. of, you know, on purpose, um, because yep. he knows, he knew our hearts and knew that we, we um, the, the darkness hates the light uh, because it exposes their deeds done in darkness. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so absolutely, it's confrontational in the same way that light always confronts darkness. And, um, and I think you're absolutely right. It's, um, the niceness, quote unquote, niceness is, is full of lies and deception. Yep. And it reminds me of, I think you spoke on this before you guys with a uh, cross policy, but it's, it's the, uh, an example, a specific example would be like the, uh, um, pronoun hospitality with JD Greer, that just the idea of, 
well, th this is one way we can exercise hospitality or kindness, because that's what hospitality, it's entertaining strangers, but with, with kindness and, and generosity. And so J.D. Greer, is, he's, 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 well, he's just building this, this false pretense that, that, you know, that you could somehow exercise genuine Holy Spirit wrought kindness, um, but, but with deceit. And, and, you know, and I, I yeah, it, it's this idea that I can entertain somebody's, somebody's, I mean, somebody's sick. That person's really sick. They, they, it, it, they're delusional. And, and I'm going, I'm affirming that every time I, I, I say she, when, when it should be he, I'm, I'm affirming a sickness and, and we're calling that kindness. Like we wouldn't do that with, with anything. I think of, I think you guys have said this before also, but like anorexia. Right, like we would, if a if a woman who weighs you know eighty four pounds and is is just you know just skin and bones is talking about how fat she is, I would never say to that woman, yeah, you, yeah, you really are fat, and uh, if you could just like, I mean, if I mean if if we did that in our culture today, everyone would say you're a monster, you're a monster, but but we but we affirm but now, people. But now we say that's body shaming. Yes, right, right, and so yeah, and but now we're doing the very same thing. Not not with somebody who's starving themselves, but somebody who's at least mulling over the idea of mutilating themselves. Like how how is that any better? How how is that any? And but we would call that and 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 I only bring it up just to say that's an example of a very well known, you know, evangelical pastor uh, advocating for and I, and I think he he would say you know he called it pronoun hospitality, but I I think he would put it into that category of kindness and i think you and i both would say that's that's not kindness it may be niceness but that's precisely the problem that's the distinction we're trying to show between niceness and and kindness so if i could just kind of move us along in in the conversation what about polemics then so we, we've kind of all right we've defined you've helped us with niceness and why it's a problem and how that differs from the actual fruit of the spirit kindness but what what does it mean for a christian to be polemical and is this something that every christian should engage in and what, what are good polemics and what what's so in the same way niceness the distinction between niceness and kindness what's the distinction between christian polemics and just being a jerk right yeah you know? uh, un, unlike the um fruit of the spirit which is for every christian so every christian you don't have the option of opting out of any of the fruit of the spirit if you're right. if you have the holy spirit then he's working all that spirit all those fruits into you and you need to be growing in them unlike that I would say that um, the practice of polemics um, is not necessarily something that every Christian is called to. Okay, um, that's helpful. Um, I think that um, you're called to always tell the truth, mm -hmm. and sometimes somebody might think you're being polemical because you're telling the truth in, you know, uh, you know, there you are, and everyone says, don't you love the emperor's new clothes? And, right. and, and you're saying, well, I... I think he's naked guys. Um, and, and you might get written up in the newspaper as being polemical when all you were doing was, you know, asserting the bare minimal truth. Um, so, you know, we're, we're fast reaching the point where many or most Christians might be accused of being polemical, um, uh, radicals, whatever. But, um, but I would say in, in general, um, not every Christian is, is called to it. I, I think, um, so what I mean by um, polemics is sort of a, um, a public um, prophetic-like ministry um, that is intentionally um, uh, uh, attempting to call out the leaders of evil, uh, the leaders of darkness, and those who are uh, wolves and false prophets and so on. It's, 
it's uh, it's intentionally confrontational and, and sort of the, the I'm calling you out. I want to do I want to do battle with you, um, you know, spiritually speaking, biblically speaking, um, and it, it's it's and and typically highly uh, verbal and rhetorical. So mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I'm thinking of examples um, like um, uh, Elijah in the showdown, uh, the right. prophets of, of Baal and Ahab. He had a a polemical ministry. Many of the, many of you know Ezekiel's ministry is polemical in the sense that um, he it, um, he is um, going to town, uh, rebuking and denouncing um, uh, the Israelites and their idolatry and their sin. Um, many of the other prophets have very polemical ministries as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus had um, polemical elements to his ministry. He um, you know will will um, tell stories meant. Um, to cause the priests and Pharisees to be ashamed of right. their hypocrisies. Um, he, he makes fun of them. Um, he tells jokes about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Paul does the same. The, the, you know, the writer of most of the uh, New Testament letters um, will mock um, the Judaizers uh, mm-hmm. for right. um, going back to the law, calls them dogs, says they're mutilators of the flesh, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, asks, you know, when you're, when you're going to go circumcise somebody, why don't you just go the whole way and, right. and, and uh, emasculate them. Um, yeah. and, um, uh, uh, um, so, um, all of those would be examples though, of what I would describe as, as polemics, where mm-hmm. it's a, a combination of, uh, of sort of, um, Jeremiah, which is, you know, what we get from Jeremiah, the prophet, it's, it's a confrontational rebuke. Uh, 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 married to, I think, um, uh, or what ought to be married to a, a, a deeply, actually, um, joyful love of the truth, mm-hmm. um, which will, will come out sometimes though, in, in a certain kind of godly mockery, mm-hmm. um, a, 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 a holy, um, denunciation, um, that, uh, you know, it mimics God's own laughter in heaven. Um, right. in, in, in Psalm two, it says that, you know, the nations rage and plot vain things and God sits in heaven and laughs and mm-hmm. holds them in derision, um, because they reject him and reject his Messiah. So that, that's what I mean by polemics. And I think, um, not all Christians are called to it. I don't even think all pastors are called to it. Um, okay. but I would say, but I would say that I think that, um, all Christian, uh, all pastors have, um, are, are, um, have a calling that's um, at least closer to it in the sense that they really do have to preach all of God's word. Um, right. and they can't, they can't skip over uh, the dicey parts uh, uh, and they have to proclaim them faithfully and courageously. Um, but I would say, and you know, maybe I'd say to the extent that all sermons are sort of an echo of a prophetic ministry, there's an yes. element in them. Um, but, but I think there are some pastors that are faithful generals in the army, faithful men who aren't necessarily going to be the out in front, um, hollering at, uh, the prophets of Baal and asking them if their God's still in the bathroom or not. Right. Um, but I think right. many pastors are called to it. Um, and, um, and cr- other Christian leaders. Yep. Super helpful. Um, it's, I, I, I kept thinking as you were talking, I, I think part of, if any of our listeners, you know, would, would, kind of just be gritting their teeth as, as you were sharing that, just like, you know, internally pushing back. And I don't like that. I, 
I don't think that, that doesn't sound Christian to me. It doesn't sound like kindness. doesn't sound like gentleness. Um, I think part of the hang up, at least for myself, even as, as I kind of, you know, came into to a better understanding of, of this biblical category. Part of the hang up for me is what, what you were speaking about earlier in terms of just understanding shame. Um, I, I think for a lot of Christians, we don't have any, any positive category for shame. Uh, and so if we only see shame as um, this, this, something that's toxic and harmful, it only does harm. We, we, don't, we don't have any category for, for the grace of shame. We don't have any category. Um, and, and I think some of that is just the niceness, you know, it's just kind of the good old boy, you know, Christian thing. But I think the gospel-centered Christian tribe, if you will, has has tried to tried to justify that mindset theologically, and and so with this gospel centered everything mentality, I, I think I, I've heard a lot of Christians and a lot of pastors say, well, um, the, the gospel is it's a it's a shame free zone, whereas whereas I always think you know the the the, the gospel. You know, God, the, the law of God, God loves his law just as much as he loves his gospel. And both, he loves them because they reveal his own nature. The, the law reveals who God is. It's an extension of, of his own self. And, and the gospel also reveals God's mercy, his kindness, who God is. And, and so for me, when I, I see the law and gospel working together, um, it, it, it actually, it's not a shame-free zone. It actually produces shame. And, and, um, and what the gospel, to me, what the cross does is, the gospel doesn't provide a shame-free zone. It provides a place where shame drives people to where our shame ultimately can be dealt with. Um, and so like when God comes looking for Adam in the garden, um, he, doesn't, he doesn't say you have no reason to be ashamed or the garden is a shame-free zone. Uh, don't be, you know, but rather it's uh, Adam's trying to cover his own nakedness. He's, try, he's doing a, you know, a, a poor job of trying to deal with his own shame and, and God kind of leans in and so, yeah, you sh- you should be ashamed. Let but let me cover that. Let me de- let me take that shame. And I, and so I just think we we struggle with polemics because it, polemics it's more than just what we we started off talking about. You know the you know the opposite of niceness, just truth and truth being by by its own virtue confrontational. But uh, polemical language seems to say like, all right, this is already going to be confrontational, and I'm going to kind of. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like polemical language. We're kind of I'm gonna I'm gonna say this a little stronger than I even uh, that I'm gonna be I'm gonna up the ante a little bit. And but I think the reason why is is because we believe uh, that that sometimes the Lord does humiliate. He breaks us. Hosea six. He tears us to pieces. He crushes us. He breaks us. He he disciplines and 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 he uses shame as his rod to get through to us, to, to dismantle and, and disassemble all those things that are not in his image, that are, 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 are not in place, and, and to build us back up in, in him. And so I guess, so my question is, if we're talking about using, you know, extra strong language, and you've already, uh, that was really helpful just saying, all right, this isn't for everybody, not even necessarily for every pastor, much less every Christian, uh, but, but you're, you're, you're saying there is a category, some people are called to this, so how, what would you do if a Christian, just to play the devil's advocate, if a Christian says, all right, Toby, you know, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. Um, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, 
correcting his opponents with gentleness, for who knows, God, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Um, and they may come to their senses, like the prodigal, you know, coming to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Like, what if I was saying, Toby, it sounds like gentleness, correction with gentleness is the tool that God's prescribing, at least in this text, um, for, for being effective, that you don't have to, you know, you don't have to go above and beyond that, that just that, that gentle correction will produce enough necessary shame to, to drive someone to repentance if the Lord has ordained it. What, what, what would you say? Yeah, well, I would say, I think every pastor should have that verse somewhere, um, in their study or, you know, underlined in their Bible. I, um, it's a wonderful summary of pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. And I would say that we need to make sure that we, um, define every word in those verses mm-hmm. according to the Bible. And the same Paul who wrote that to Timothy, insisting that Timothy imitate him and imitate his ministry, mm-hmm. uh, is, is the same Paul who, um, you know, I, well, I said earlier what he told the Judaizers. Um, right, he wrote a right. pretty, pretty harsh letter of rebuke to the Corinthians. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, and the Corinthians were kind of a piece of work, special church. Um, and, um, and in second Corinthians in particular, Paul says, and, um, I know I made you guys very sad. Um, Mm. and I'm glad that I did. Um, um, he, he rebuked them and, and, and I would say, and he did it with gentleness. Um, gentleness doesn't mean, um, not doing anything that, um, it doesn't hurt. Um, uh, gentle, gentleness, I, I believe means, um, doing what is necessary um, uh, for the good of those you're addressing. And so um, a, a surgeon who needs to amputate, you know, my leg, um, mm-hmm. you know, for because it's, you know, infected and it's going to get me sick and kill me, um, uh, should not use more force and more um, violence than is necessary to right. remove my leg. Right. Um, but, but when he's done a faithful job of removing my leg, um, I would say he is, he has acted, um, in full gentleness according mm. to the, what the moment required. Yeah. Um, it, it was, helpful. it was, it was restraint because he didn't take off both of my legs. Right. Um, he, he didn't, he didn't just put a bullet in my head. He um, didn't use it as an opportunity to work on his hatchet skills, you know, no, like he, <laughs> right. right. But, but, yeah. so I think, <laughs> but you know, God, um, did God confront Saul on the road to Damascus um, with gentleness? Mm. I would say absolutely did. Yeah. What, what, what Saul deserved was hell. Mm-hmm. And, and what he got was knocked off his horse and blinded. Right. God was using all kinds of restraint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you, you little annoying, you know, right. <laughs> um, you know, could, could have been way worse, could have sent mm. fire down on them. And, and yet God in his gentleness um, confronts us um, just and get, with just the right amount of force. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, um, I was just thinking about uh, this morning, I taught a class, um, the story of Naboth's vineyard um, mm-hmm. with, with King Ahab yeah. and yep. Jezebel. And, and he's throwing and a the, fit. Yeah, horrific. I mean, layer upon layer of wickedness. Yeah. Um, fitting and then plotting and I then want it. false, I w- but I want it. <laughs> yeah. And, but culminating in murder yeah. and, yeah. and, 
and theft of this man, good man's inheritance from many generations. Right. And then is confronted by the prophet, rebuked by the prophet, and Ahab repents. Mm. And God accepts his repentance. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's and, really helpful. And, and, I, and so, so the, the heart that we ought to have is absolutely one of correct them. Maybe they will turn back from the snare of the devil, exactly what Paul tells Timothy. Right. But the question is, what is the force required? And the mm-hmm. force required, rhetorically, verbally speaking, if it is in fact what re- is required to get the repentance, that is imitating God's gentleness. That's super helpful. I, I love how, like, w- w- what you just said about um, Paul in terms of, you know, when he's when he's writing, you know, to the Galatians, and like, I, you know, I wish they'd go the whole these, you know, mutilators of the flesh, these Judaizers. I wish they would just go the whole way and emasculate themselves. And and we know he, he's not being literal. It's it's he's it's sarcasm, right? And like, is there any category, Christian category, for sarcasm? We say there is. That's that's a sarcasm and satire. Those kinds of things are types of polemical language. And so what you're saying is that the same Paul who wrote this, this command, it's not a suggestion, a command to Timothy, we, we, we should assume that the apostle of Christ um, exercised, he, he followed this same command uh, him, himself. He's not giving the command to Timothy and, and not doing it himself. And so, so then we have to go back. That's so helpful to say, all right, so this is what Paul says. This is the prescription. Now we can go back and look at descriptive texts and, and put them in, in this, uh, this mold and say, so what Paul did there must have been the Lord's servant, not being quarrelsome, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring. So this is Paul patiently enduring evil when he says these guys should just chop it off. That, that is an example of correcting his opponents with gentleness. So that's super helpful. And it just got me thinking about one more thing. And I, I would love your thoughts on this, but for me, I, I think in, in my pastoral ministry, I've, I've had some encounters, uh, where I've realized I think one of the hangups, one of one of the uh, misconceptions. I think it's a misconception. You might disagree with me, but I think one of the misconceptions is when we think of the fruit of the spirit. I, I've noticed that a lot of Christians view the fruit of the spirit as though it were a toolbox, and each each individual fruit of the spirit is like an individual tool, and so each circumstance, situation in life may call for a hammer or a ratchet, you know, or a screwdriver, and so. And, and, and because of that, um, a lot of Christians, they'll look at Paul, for instance. So they, they, here's the pushback playing the devil's advocate. They would, they would look at Paul and they say, yeah, Paul says gentleness. But then what he was doing in that moment with the Galatians or when he's saying, who bewitched you? Again, it, like he doesn't think they're actually bewitched. It's this sarcasm. He's like, you must be under a spell to be this dumb. I was just there. I was just there. Preach Christ, him crucified, preach the gospel and, and, for you to be so quick, I am astonished, right? As it gets that sarcasm, I am like, wow, guys, good job. I'm, ast- I'm amazed. I've never, in all my ministry, I've never seen people desert the gospel so quickly. So much so, I feel like Harry Potter must have been here and done a number on you guys because something, this is insane. And so that kind of language, that's, that's strong language. We would call that harsh a lot of times in our nice Mr. Rogers Christian world. But Paul's doing that. And so the Christian that, that I've dealt with in pastoral ministry, they, they would sometimes say, well, Paul is using one fruit of the Spirit, or maybe two or three. Maybe he's doing a combo power, you know, whatever, like two or three fruit of the Spirit. Uh, but he's that's not gentleness. And so my, my point is, they Christians seem to have this framework that the fruit of the Spirit are individual tools in a toolbox, and we're using one or maybe two at a time for different circumstances. Where my thought, and, and you may disagree with me, but my thought is that Jesus, for instance, um, 
the God, he, he came to show us who is God. He also came to show us who is man, the perfect man. And, and so my thought is that there was never a moment in the life of Christ that he was not perfectly exuding all the fruit of the Spirit simultaneously to, to the, the greatest degree, which means when he's flipping over tables with the money chamber, uh, changers in John chapter 2, he, he is, he's showing us zeal for his father's house with perfect gentleness. There was never, so, so would you agree, agree with that assessment that the fruit of the spirit in the life of the Christian is, it's a package deal. It's a fruit basket, if you will, and not individual. Like, let me take an apple. Uh, this, this moment calls for an orange. What, what do you think about that principle? I, I actually, I fully agree. Actually, I, I think the, the word there for fruit is singular. Um, That's right. And, so I, I think uh, in many and, and actually I think rather than thinking of it as yeah grapes and bananas and apples I think what we're actually talking about is one fruit um, that manifests in all of these different dynamics you know sort of you know I don't know you take a take a fruit take an orange take an apple um, it has all kinds of different texture and qualities to it and I think those uh, fruit what we call the fruit of the spirit are just I think the qualities of the one fruit that the spirit gives the one well the one spirit we, we could even say it's, exactly. it's fruit of the spirit that's yeah. manifestation it's proof of the right. pudding the pudding is the spirit yeah. and so if you have the spirit this is what the spirit looks like and and be in the same way that we don't want to i i think of like you know the uh, dual natures of christ i think of you know our, our um theology proper in in terms of the son and in the same way that we don't we don't want to get into some of the Eutychian and Nestorian heresies and, and this idea that we don't want to um we never want to truncate the divine essence. We we never want to we never want to chop up God. You know, I just think of the confession, uh, in your case, Westminster, my case, 1689. But you know, we you know, we you guys copied us. No, we we copied you. But but the point is either way, who is who is God? A most pure spirit without body parts or or passions. And so God is not dissectable. And, and if the fruit of the Spirit is simply the manifestation of God, God the Holy Spirit, and, and if God is not composed of parts, um, then, right? And so in that sense, I, and I know that may be confusing for some of our listeners, but like God is a simple being in philosophical terms. He's not, there's nothing simple about God in, in a literal sense. He's far more complex than you and I. Uh, but we we are are not simple beings as human beings in the sense that if, if I, you know, the, back to the amputee, illustration that you gave. Uh, if a doctor chops off my leg, I'm still Joel Webin. But there's nothing I can chop off of God and him still be God. All that is in God is God. And so all the fruit of the Spirit is, all of that is a manifestation of God. And, and you can't have one without the other. If you got God, you got all of God. And and so if if we believe in the priest of all believers, and if we believe in the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit, indwelling each saint, each believer, we, we don't have part of the Spirit. We got the whole, the whole Spirit, and if we got the whole Spirit, we got all, all the, all the fruits. I think we could even say that they're all connected too, in the sense that I mean, and this is the way it is with God. I mean, God Himself is all connected. It's not like you know you can attack the spirit and not attack the father or you can't attack right. the son and not attack the father and the spirit. Right. I think this, the fruit it functions the same way. If, if, if you're lacking gentleness, you're actually lo- lacking all the rest of it. You, you can't, you, you can't say I'm being loving, but not gentle or right. I'm being gentle, but not joyful. No, if you're lacking joy, then you're also, it's also affecting all the rest of the fruit. You're not actually being fully self-controlled. You're not being kind. You're not being patient. 
So uh, they, they hang together absolutely uh, the entire time. That's really helpful. All right. So uh, one more question, and, and then we have a, a couple bonus questions. So similar to what you guys do at the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, we, uh, we're, you know, we, for our, our prescribers, for our, we call them responders, our club members, we have some bonus questions. And so uh, one more question, though, on the main interview. So earlier you were talking about, because it really is a prophetic, there's that shepherding role of pastors in the local church and shepherding the sheep. Uh, but there is that that prophetic component where when I when I stand into the pulpit, right, the man melts away. It's it's the message, and when I'm preaching God's word with a confidence, not myself, not in the flesh, but because God wrote a book, I, I'm preaching God's word, and I'm feeding the sheep. I'm bringing, I'm, I'm praising the Lord. I'm I'm feeding the sheep, but I'm also I'm also prophesying to nations and 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 governments and kingdoms, and and I know. I know you believe in all this. I've learned a lot of this from you. And, and so I, I'm doing that. So there is that prophetic piece. And so you said like with that, you know, like wh- whether it's, um, you correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's Amos who like <laughs> kind of just like leads off with, uh, your women are like cows, right? Like, like very polemical language or, or Elijah with the prophets of Baal, you know, like maybe you should slash yourselves a little bit more, you know, cause, cause I, your God just isn't paying attention. Um, that kind of language. Um, you, you said that like we use that for false prophets. So I want to pick up on that piece. You said like false prophets and, um, and, and wolves. You said wolves. So my question is, you know, and Jesus does it with the Pharisees, but here's the thing. The Pharisees, they, they're not regenerate. They, they weren't, you know, like maybe Nicodemus later on, you know, I, I don't know, but, but most of the Pharisees that he's using that polemical language with are not, we always think of Pharisees today and we think of these are people in the church. And I'm all, I always have a problem with that because I'm like, Pharisees weren't in the church. They were not followers of Jesus. They hated, they were enemies of Christ. They may have been religious rulers for their time, but they were anti-Christ. And so my question is in the church. So the wolf is one thing. The false prophet, false teacher is another. Is there a category for Christians using polemical language with brothers, with, with one another? Is there ever a place? So certainly there's a place for correction, but there, is there a place for Types of polemical language like satire or sarcasm, right? And, and that's not your go-to. We don't maybe start there, but like this guy has not been listening to me. There's public discourse. A lot of other Christians are watching like a Paul and Peter kind of thing. Like people can be led astray by Peter's actions. And so in this public sphere with, you know, like a, a blog discourse or, or a podcast or something like that, this leader who should know better, I, I've tried to talk to him offline. He's ignoring me. He's not setting the record straight. And so now I'm, I'm going to turn up the heat a little bit. Um, but he, I do think he's a brother in Christ. Is there a category for that? Yeah. Uh, on the, uh, yes. And let me back up a little bit. Um, I think the, um, the point about the Pharisees and, and Sadducees. Um, yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that? I, I, I grant your point. Although I think in, in Jesus day, I don't think people ha- had, could make those distinctions very clearly. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, Jesus was another rabbi um, among yeah. many rabbis was, a, you know, was a, a, an elder. So, you know, so to speak, and a teacher in Israel. So I think the reason why we have such a poor view of the Pharisees today is actually because Jesus did such a great job, took a, you know, did a hatchet job on the name Pharisee. So, mm-hmm. no, you know, ever right. since nobody wants to be a Pharisee. <laughs> yeah, um, you're right. um, I think, um, but I think that actually speaks to the point and it still, because I think even wolves were told, um, appear in sheep's clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
one of the ways that sometimes got uh, the faithful shepherds drive away the wolves is by exposing the fact that they're wearing, you know, a sheepskin. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're not, they're not really, um, believers. They're not really faithful pastors. Um, and then I think on the flip side, I think is what you're getting to is I do think there are truly regenerate, uh, Christians and leaders and pastors who will be in heaven who are still really wrong, um, about certain things. And that needs to be addressed. Um, and I, and I think, um, there's just, you know, there are a number of, uh, factors that need to be, um, held together. Mm-hmm. The short answer is yes. And again, I would point to, um, uh, even Paul, um, he has some really harsh words for Judaizers, yeah. but in one of his, but in one of his letters, he actually, um, mentions a few of his friends who are of the circumcision party. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Paul was able to have, um, really hardcore polemics against the circumcision right. party. Um, but there were apparently some people who were still were sort of associated with that, who were nevertheless working with Paul yeah. and Paul, Paul was willing to work with them. Or what um, he says to the Corinthian church, he recognized infants, babes in Christ. So he's saying you're brothers. And right. then, and then he's like, later on, he's like, you know, uh, we are fools, but you are wise. You know, we, we are, we, you know, and he, like, he's being sarcastic. You know, right. he, he's that, you know, but with, but he, he's already, he's already affirmed them multiple times by that point in the letter that, that they're think, in Christ. I think when it comes to, um, so I think there, and then you were kind of giving an example of maybe, you know, a, a famous Christian leader who you've, yeah, you know, that had, was my thought. I mean, there's, that's, that's one example. And I think, you know, some, sometimes the distance, um, and you know, the ability to, you know, whatever, whether you're writing articles or responding to each other that way, or, you know, a podcast or whatever. I mean, what you want to do is contextualize it in terms of like, if I'm going to take a shot, if I'm going to um, say, come on, brother, you know, better than that. Um, uh, and, and, and use some bit of polemics or sarcasm or so on. Um, I want to do everything I can to nevertheless still contextualize it and, and, and say, you know, with either, you know, respect, this is an older teacher in the church um, he, you know, he's done good work for the kingdom. Um, I want there to be a, um, I want there to be a, um, a sparkle in my eye, so to speak right. in terms of saying, as far as I can tell, I mean, I'm going to heaven with this guy. Right. Um, and, and so I'm, I, I want that to be clear, even though I think you're not being helpful over here. Right. Um, and, and then, and then bring it home. I mean, I think what you, where you want to, um, you know, pastors have to be careful within their own congregation. I would say there's still a place for, um, uh, you know, sort of a chiding, even, you know, rebuke or correction and so on right. and, and, and being playful. But I, I would want to sort of, um, Paul talks about that sort of pastoral ministry as a fatherly ministry. Right. And, and so, you know, but I think there, there ought to be a friendly, um, familiar banter in a home uh, right. between a father and his children yeah. and, and you know, and between your, you and your wife, mm-hmm. um, that's um, that's friendly, that's full of love and kindness and joy, but is is not so wooden that you can't say, you know, what are you doing? Right. Um, and and I and I think you know, it, it's when the kids are little, it's a little bit more black and white, and it needs to be that way because they're right. they don't know the categories yet. Um, but I th- but I think as they grow a little older, especially my you know my I've got uh, three of two or three of my kids are in the teenage years now. Um, uh, I have to ask my wife how old they are. Um, they're, but they're, uh, um, but I've got three in that sort of middle school, high school range. And, and, 
you know, more of more and more, um, I'm, I'm not correcting them anymore. Like I did when they were five, right. Um, where I was pulling them aside and it was a fairly, you know, sort of stern black and white, you know, like mm-hmm. that's wrong. You did it, you know, so on. They know the categories now. And so, and now a lot of what I'm doing is sort of a friendly, you know, you know, really, that's, that's how you're going to talk to your sister right now. Uh, really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm making fun of them. Um, but it's in a context of deep love and respect right. and, and they know that and, and they, and I know that they know that because they're laughing back at me and hustling to go make it right, right with their sibling or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, so I think, um, there ought to be, um, slightly differing voices for different contexts, gotcha. but I think you are using in some ways the same muscle. It's a polemical muscle. Right. Um, but it, it might have a slightly different incarnation. The last thing I would say is just remember that the enemy really is the devil. The enemy really is the sin. And, and yes, the Bible does describe people as enemies sometimes. And so I yeah. think we, we do have enemies of the gospel and we have enemies um, even sometimes in the church and so on. Um, but, um, but don't forget that um, they're really, you know, this side of, of heaven, this side of glory, um, we're, um, we're still fighting to win the man, um, right. uh, and and that doesn't um, and so that needs to be kept in mind. Or it's it's not just um, you know I've got to be right and you've got to be proven wrong, right. but it's there's always a sense of um, back to the the, the Timothy passage and Paul's exhortation to, to Timothy that um, you know perhaps God will grant them repentance and they'll be rescued from the slavery of the devil. Um, and, and even when we're talking about a true regenerate brother, who's not really under the dominion of the devil, there can still be, um, deception from the devil. There can still Mm -hmm. be just things that, you know, it's not, not as good as it should be. And, Mm -hmm. um, and you want to win them over, um, from that. That's right. Yeah. I completely agree. The, the second, second Timothy two passage is helpful Win the man and keeping that always, um, in our sights. And, and then I think it's also helpful for Christians because the win the man sometimes, well, first, I think we just, we need to repent of our, our arrogance. So some Christians, they'll, they'll hear that. They'll say, win the man. All right. Well, there, like, there are some scenarios, Toby, where it's just that man has made it abundantly clear that he's, he's not going to be one. And so I think our first response counter to that point would be, um, yeah, but that man it does not have autonomous freedom. He's not in charge of whether or not he's going to be one. Uh, he might Saul, be one. Saul uh, didn't look very winnable on the road to Damascus. That's right. Exactly. So <laughs> so that doesn't mean we quit. Because I think some Christians would just say, all right, you know, you're saying that you're trying to win the man. Um, but it sounds like you're just arguing. It sounds like you're just fighting. And, uh, and it's like, well, this this man could still be one. And then I, I just wanted to broaden and say there's winning the man. There's also winning the, the men, like meaning that. Um, I think of like, so there's Paul, you know, talking about how, how to address your direct opponent winning the opponent himself, but there's also Apollos. And I think about, you know, he argued powerfully is, is what the text says. He argued powerfully and, and we don't necessarily get a description of whether or not the people he was arguing with, if any of them were won over, but it says that the saints who were there in, in that area who were watching this, this debate, this argument going back and forth. Apollos, because he was such a powerful arguer from the scriptures and powerful, I can only assume rhetoric and, and, right. and all that, the, all these other guys, um, were encouraged. And you see that, man, you see that when, um, 
when, when a faithful apologist, you know, takes right. a public debate against an atheist and there's a, it's like, how many times does the atheist at the end of the debate uh, fall on his knees, tear his clothes, repent, you know, a sacrament? Maybe, maybe not super often. Uh, number one, still God could win that man. Maybe he comes to faith later. And, uh, mm-hmm. but then number two, all those Christians who have been beaten down by the intellectual liberals that they live with, you know, and been made fun of. We don't know their situation. Like they've been made fun of for believing in a, in a literal six day, you know, creation. And they've been a young earth and, and been made to feel because the Orthodox, the culture is so, it's, it's just, you know, and so they've been made to feel stupid. And then all of a sudden a Titan. Right. That, I mean, God gives us Titan. Paul was a Titan. Apollos was a Titan. Calvin was a Titan. Augustine was a, a Titan. And, and these men, we still have Titans today. You know, I think of Bonson. Bonson was it. Right. And just mopped the floor with that, with that enemy of God, at least at the moment. Maybe he comes around later, but just mops the floor with him. And maybe, maybe the mop <laughs> isn't one, but all the people watching the show, all those Christians who've just been beaten down and felt stupid for the last, you know, 10 years, all of a sudden they're like, whoa, like we're right. We're on the right side. We're on the right side of history. It doesn't matter what CNN keeps saying. Like we are actually on the right side of history and, and God gives us Titans. I think sometimes he gives us Davids because everybody else is shaking and their knees are knocking. And, and, and then all of a sudden the people of God become ferocious because they realize the battle can actually be won. It's winnable. And and we have God on our side. I think God, God taught me that lesson um, most starkly, uh, when um, for several years I participated in open air preaching on our local mm-hmm. university campus, and um, <laughs> that's probably fun. <laughs> I, I I never I would I never would have dreamed of, of, of that I was going to be that guy. Right. Um, and um, and it's sort of a fun long story that I won't tell right now of how I believe God tricked me into it. Um, but um, but there is always sort of that um, part of you, and then there's the objection for many Christians that you know open air preaching is, um, you know, belligerent, mean, yep. angry. Um, yeah, you know, are you really, you know, is it really fruitful? Are you really being winsome? And um, winsome. And, I'm sick of the word winsome. <laughs> uh, right. And uh, <laughs> but but the point you're making, absolutely, not only winning the man, but winning the men, win, winning right. the the audience. I mean, um, God taught me that overwhelmingly through that experience where, um, you know, you would get some heckler or somebody who was mad at God or you or whatever, and start yelling at you and calling you all the names and everything else. And there you would be starting to argue with them. And, um, and, and then a crowd appears because, yeah. you know, who, who doesn't want to watch, you know, a, a big loud right. argument. Right. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and, but there you are in an, with an opportunity to show the love of Christ, um, to preach the gospel, uh, to return um, blessing for cursing, yeah. um, and there's a big crowd of people there who in, who would never darken the doorway of a church. That's right. Um, and they're seeing it live in person. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what the gospel does. Yeah. Um, Amen. And um, and there was you know time after time of that happening, um, and um, and. I have, you know, stories I can tell of, of instances where the guy who, you know, one, one year a guy showed up and argued with me almost every single Friday, um, <laughs> called me names, everything had a you know rough past and everything. And it was at times sort of like, uh, not him again. And, and yet, um, 
and, and would never, you know, I, I was always saying, Hey, can I buy you lunch? Can I, can I go take you out for a drink? Um, I'd love to get to know you. And, and no, I'm not telling you, you know, I'm not telling you my name. I don't want to have anything to do with you. You know, you're just an angry preacher and I hate you. And went, you know, for, for like three months like this, uh, and, and then at the end of the three months, there was one time where, um, he was going after me and then a, another, uh, younger kid showed up and was doing the same thing. And about an hour later, because the other younger kid had been mocking and, and was even more foul and more filthy than the, than the, the other guy who'd been there all semester, the, the older guy who'd been mocking me all semester walks up and puts out his hand and says, I'm really sorry about that other guy. <laughs> and, and, and introduces himself and says, I'd be willing to go out to lunch with you sometime. Wow. And, uh, and, and, but meanwhile, and, and the thing that really, I mean, not only did it sort of, this one man was eventually won over, but then I, I realized also that one man who, well, he wasn't completely won over, but at least won over enough to have lunch. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, but then what I realized was, oh, and that man um, was God's gift to my preaching ministry for three months, such that every single Friday, God made sure that I had an audience. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely by, right. By, by sending that enemy. That, and, yep. and so this is one of those things with polemics, with not being thought of as being nice and so on, is that, um, you know, all, I mean, the book of Acts could be described as evangelism by riot. Yep, riot evangelism. Uh, but, but by my by my count, I think there's twelve or thirteen public disturbances, maybe fourteen in the Book of Acts. Right. Um, uh, where there's a riot, you know, there's a mob, uh, there's an imprisonment, there's an arrest, there's an, you know, I think there's thirteen or fourteen of them, and um, I believe all but one of them, Luke includes a sort of summary statement somewhere in the story, just so that we don't get the wrong idea. Um, most of the gospel-centered ministries. Um, that we have around us, I mean, would cringe after every single one because right. Paul was in, the, you know, Peter was in the paper because he got arrested and Peter and John were in the paper because they broke out of prison. And then Paul's in the paper because of this. And then Paul, you know, it's like right. bad press, bad press, bad press. But Luke, who's telling the story, gives us these comments all through saying, and there were 3,000 added to their number. And right. there were many, many of the leading women of the city believed. Many of That's the right. nobles of the city were, uh, you know, converted. Many of the believers in the city were greatly encouraged. Um, yep. Over and over and over. Um, uh, that's the story. And it's not because they were just fighting and being belligerent or being jerks. It's because they allowed the light of the gospel to collide with the darkness of the world. Yep. And, and in that moment, preached Christ, loved their enemies, did good to those who persecuted them. Yeah, and amen. and I some, sometimes I tell my my people when I'm I'm preaching to them that you know I I believe in in the command to love your enemies, but that means that you must have enemies to love, mm -hmm. and and there are far That's too many good. Christians who would be are, who are terrified of having yeah, enemies. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> who you're are right. your enemies? They yeah, have no so, enemies. Yeah, you and said they, the gospel so they have no one to love. Right. The gospel center churches, I, I just, it just got me thinking, you're talking about like Paul, you know, and the apostles getting thrown in jail and riot evangelism, not relational evangelism, not to say right. there's no category, but that's, right. that's not the main category. The main category right. is not, that's at least as far as biblical examples, it's riot evangelism. And with that, I just think of like what happened to Paul. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just trying to think of how, how many gospel centered churches today, um, 
would say that he's not qualified to be an elder. You don't have a good reputation with outsiders, right? You're, you're quarrelsome. Um, I, I think I think Paul would be voted out by the vast majority of congregations, presbyteries. I, like I think he would be, I think he'd be removed. Yep. And so yeah, we've we've got to get back um, these these proper categories. And I think you've helped us a lot with that. So let me uh, real quick let me wet our appetite for um, our club members, our responders. These are the bonus questions. Uh, Toby and I are going to come back on for another uh, 10, 15 minutes or so and address these. Um, so one question, I've got two. Number one, uh, what is your stance on masks with COVID-19? And why do some pastors seem to be frustrated with you on this subject? Toby can decline to answer these things, but I'm just throwing them out there. We'll see what he says, see what he's comfortable sharing. Number two is, do you think some evangelical leaders I have wrongly categorized the ways in which local churches should respond to COVID-19 and the ensuing lockdowns. Do you think this has been the ways that churches should respond? Do you think some evangelical leaders have wrongly categorized this as a matter of Christian liberty? That's one of my concerns. I, I, I thought it'd be really fun to briefly chat about that. I think some things are being thrown in the category of Christian liberty that I, I feel are more so, no, that's a commandment, clear commandment from Christ. So I want to hear your thoughts on like how, how much of a spectrum of Christian liberty do we really have when it comes to churches, whether we should gather or not, how we should gather, and um, your position more particularly on masks and why some people in the evangelical sphere right now uh, seem to, to, uh, to not be very happy with you, Toby. Uh, there's some people who just don't, they're not happy with you. <laughs> All right, so that's it. So let's go ahead and conclude our episode. As we conclude, Toby, let people know how they can follow you, your ministry, keep up with the, uh, the great work that you're doing. Um, I am at, you can find uh, my work with CrossPolitik at crosspolitik.com. Um, all our shows are there. There's also an app uh, that's called the Fight, it's Fight, Laugh, Beast, Fight, Laugh, Beast Network. Um, if you want to download the app, find, find all the other shows that are going on there. I'm at Christ Church in Moscow. Our website is Christkirk, K-I-R-K dot com. And so sermons and uh, various things are up there. And then lastly, I, I blog at tobyjsumter.com. Great. Thanks, Toby. Bless you, brother, for your ministry. We're grateful for you. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for tuning in to Right Response Ministries. As a reminder, all of our resources should only be used as a supplement and not a substitute for the local church. Be sure to check out our website, rightresponseministries.com, or download our free app. There you can find out how to join our team by supporting us monthly as a responder. As a responder, you will receive a Soli Deo Gloria t-shirt and a physical copy of Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? Also, you'll receive an ongoing 10% discount on all items in the store, as well as access to free digital copies of all current and future books in the store. Thank you for your generous support.